0: I'm Jason von Medding.
1: And I'm Ksenia Chmoutina.
0: Welcome to Disasters Deconstructed Podcast. Well, here we are. It's October 2019 and we have... Come to the conclusion of our first season of Disasters Deconstructed. Whoop, whoop. Are you excited?
1: I'm so excited. I think I've been excited throughout. You know.
0: You have a little bit overexcited at times, but um, I know. I know. It's been fun, and I'm ready for a break.
1: Yeah, me too. I mean, you know, I was just thinking about kind of when we started. I know that the episodes have been only released since June. I mean, only, only in June. Mm. Um, it just it doesn't feel that long, but I kind of remember, you know, when I think it must have been April when you were or oh, early May when you were in Australia and I was kind of in Russia after China and India. And we were writing a paper, finishing a proposal, organizing a conference, and sort of recording the episodes. Yeah. And there was a moment, and I thought, right, like, I'm just going to crack, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I can certainly identify with that feeling. Right. It's been, um, like, it's kind of something on top of the other work we're doing that's not really expected from uh, terms of at an institutional level or... Not something that most people expect from anybody involved in science, right? But I think it's been really fantastic thing to do, and we're excited to continue. Well, I'm excited to continue. I hope you okay.
1: Well, yeah. You, you can't get rid of me that easily. Oh, yeah. oh, oh,
0: oh, oh. <laughs> get rid no, of your evil so. laugh.
1: Absolutely, right? <laughs> it's part part of, part of the charm, really. <laughs> But no it's been it's been so cool. I mean, we've spoken to so many amazing people and just engaged with so many people that we I guess we didn't really expect to engage with so um yeah, I'm so pleased that I'm just so happy that we've been doing this
0: for sure, it's been a great way to learn more about really great work that's happening and people like people's backstory about why they do what they do mm-hmm. It's mostly been disaster researchers we've been talking to this season, but we're looking forward to broadening that scope with season two, where we're talking about narratives and stories of disasters. Um, But uh, yeah, I I think I've learned a lot in this season. Hopefully we've managed to deconstruct the ideas enough that anybody who's been listening has been able to learn something new.
1: Yeah, for sure, and you know it's been great engaging in these conversations, and I guess discussing things that we don't always get a chance to discuss because they, you know, we take for granted. I think some of the concepts that we use and some of the theories that we rely upon, you know, or presume to be understandable by everyone else. So it's been it, it's been great to unpack, and it, I've certainly challenged my own thinking and the way I kind of write things and the way I talk about things. But I, I, you know what, I really enjoyed um, discovering certain things about ourselves as well, which <laughs> kept me entertaining um, for a while. Okay,
0: well, what have you discovered?
1: <laughs> well, I think things we've discovered, um, and I've, I've listed them actually. So I think we've established really early on that you and I, we really want to establish Academic Anonymous group. And we will all together cry when somebody asks us, how do we define resilience? You know, we'll meet just for that.
0: (laughs) I think that was a great idea that came up in like one of the, sometime in June, maybe episode five. I think it was with Joanne Jordan, right?
1: You know, and lots of people supported us on Twitter, so maybe we should do it. Maybe that's our next adventure.
0: That's emerged strongly, I think, in the whole season. Just some um, language issues and terminology issues, translation... Mm -hmm. And I hope that those will be things we can take forward into season two when we talk about stories, like yeah. underpinning why people see things differently and tell different stories is often just the um, the problems of of language and translation and understanding. And people are just fundamentally different and they have different stories.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think we've also discovered that um, listening is a good skill. Um, I've certainly learned that you don't like when I laugh halfway through your sentences.
0: Well, do you know why? Oh, no, you're you're off. So, do you know why this is? It's because when I say something that doesn't work, I'm very practical about this. And I try to move ahead and say it again but by the time I say it again, then I have a little laugh track in the back, which is you. Just a a little, a little. (laughs) And so sometimes it's like the loud evil laugh and other times it's just like a little. (laughs) And, And so then that means I have to say things again. I'm just being practical. (laughs)
1: Yeah, and I'm clearly really supportive, you know? I know. Oh,
2: so good.
0: Well, something that I realized is that you um, like to pontificate. And we discovered a couple of weeks ago that, that you'd actually like to have some sort of academic Wikipedia of pontificating. (laughs) totally yeah that's 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 something that we need we need to make happen in future maybe some of our listeners can help us with this
1: (laughs) yeah i'd love to see that live you know um maybe we can discuss this at the academic anonymous
0: (laughs) group meeting it would seem to fit pretty well
1: as long as nobody laughs it's all very serious you know
0: (laughs) yeah well we all have our things that kind of annoy us don't we?
1: oh yes but yeah, it's been fun. I think generally, you know, I did not think I would enjoy this as much as I'm enjoying it.
0: It has. Like, so this week, what we really want to do is look back at the season um, and just talk about some of the key highlights. And um, we'll, we're going to play some clips of some of the favorite moments from... Um, you know, of ours and that people have commented on over the past few months as being particularly significant. And maybe to kick off, I was just looking at our, um, like, downloads, looking at what episodes that people find popular based on downloads. And we're up to, like, 2,000 or more downloads per month, which is kind of cool for a new podcast. Oh, wow, great. Um, and... So looking at our downloads, like the most downloaded episode so far is the, is the first episode. So we obviously lost some people after episode one and they never came back.
1: <laughs> Sorry about that. Sorry, Sorry. people.
0: <laughs> um, I don't know if this is a normal thing for, for a podcast to have the most downloads in the first episode. Maybe it's a really bad thing and um, <laughs> we just don't realize it. But anyway.
1: And- yeah, and they haven't heard the first version of the first episode either. You know, we could have lost all of you.
0: <laughs> That's true. At least, at least it wasn't the first right. version of the first episode.
1: No. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but you know, looking at our other episodes, there are some that stand out as having really struck a chord with people, and so in particular the ones that um, had had really high, um, you know, week one downloads and continue to, they, they look like they might be some of the most popular overall once they're out there mm-hmm. for a few months, are probably um, when we had Elon on to talk about climate change, that one. yeah Maybe because it's such a hot topic and people are thinking about it right now. And also Elon is very good at promoting his work too. Um, that is uh, one of the highest downloaded in its first week. Also, Samantha Montano talking about disaster myths. Was something yeah. I think that resonated with a lot of people and just, uh, you know, the style of, of, of introducing these ideas through stories as well, I think is something that Samantha does really well. So people can identify that and it was maybe more at the, you know, brought down from the academic level um, to something that people can understand in their everyday life. And then another, the other one I would mention is also Gonzalo when he was talking about Empire. And um, that's uh, something I think that we want to share more broadly. Like most of our our um, audience is is in um, Canada, US, UK, Australia, Ireland. And those are kind of our our main listener bases. And so the Empire episode is something that kind of talked more about the global south, more about some of these difficult relationships between developed and developing and colonialism and a lot of these issues that we haven't really got into in this season. But that episode was something that, that really uh, went into some new territory. And so one exciting thing is um, that we're in the process of recording a Spanish episode, um, and it will be around that same content. So that's kind of cool, yeah. right?
1: That's amazing. I'm really looking forward to releasing it. I mean, my Spanish is super basic, so you know, I don't think I'd be able to understand much, but I think it's nice. you know, It's something that we've been talking about a lot, particularly with the release of the manifesto, which we've discussed a couple of episodes ago, that we really need to push um, beyond our kind of comfort zone um, of speaking in English. And actually there are so many of us who are not native speakers, but we sort of forget, you know, I certainly don't use Russian at all as the means of communicating my research.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I, I I don't know, I don't have an explanation for that. You know, it's just, I guess, an excuse of using English because it's easier. But maybe this is something we should challenge and discuss more.
0: Yeah, so releasing content in other languages I think is something that we would love to push into in the future, and we thought just as a a trial, we would record a uh, episode in Spanish, and that's not going to be with Ksenia and I as the hosts in Spanish, obviously. <laughs> so <we're gonna> have <laughs> good. different hosts, but that's that's something we're working on. So we'll let you know when we uh, manage to get that done. Yeah,
1: and there, I guess there'll be a few more members content things in portuguese italian and spanish from the ira conference
0: correct so what we want to do today for for the rest of our time more or less is go through some of the key uh, parts of episodes um, we're going to try to structure it around some of the key themes from season one and then use Clips from the episodes from some of our guests to emphasize um, what we learned, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So just just a little nice summary. Well, shall we? Shall we start?
3: Yeah, and that's the thing. I think with volcanoes being put into that category is because. Of how destructive they are and how overwhelmed and insignificant and helpless we feel as people because we see that with volcanic eruption, they're very much beyond our control we can't control them in almost no way at all um so it's hard because of course we as societies we're very you know we have positive and negative experiences with volcanoes like main positive experience is that it gives us fertile soil so we can produce crops and that's usually the main attraction to people living near volcanoes Mm -hmm. and of course it's not easy for everyone to move um away from a volcano because well it could be many factors like they don't have enough money or they're like refuse to leave because it's where they that's the only place they've ever known so it's hard to you know it's hard to think about how you would address it because We're so attached to volcanic landscapes because we've always lived near or on them. So it's hard to move people away because there's no room left essentially. So we have to try and find ways to live with them and be like, okay, these things are natural, processes are happening, we need to find some ways to reduce them, reduce the disaster impact.
1: So I guess the most um, important thing that we were trying to do in this season is to unpack the terminology that we're using. And if you remember, we introduced the Jagger jar, which we filled in successfully, Mm -hmm. (laughs) unfortunately, or fortunately. So we talked a lot about concepts and we, we chose concepts that are really difficult to define. The contested concepts that we are all using in disaster studies, whether we want to use them or not, but somehow the discipline forces us to do so. And so we... We have started with the idea of the hazards and i think when we talked to jasmine about hazards she highlighted it so well um, that hazards actually a part of our life you know there is nothing we can do about them they're just a natural process and we've always as you know human beings we've always lived and coexisted with hazards and that but hazards don't have to turn into
0: disasters Mm. that's a key thing and it, it really started to get to the core message of the season really was that disasters aren't natural. Right. And, um, I think when we talked to Jasmine, for sure, it was, it was very clear that, that people have a way of living with hazards, um, as part of their everyday life. And so often in the, the way that the media portrays disasters, the way that, um, even the stories that we tell about disasters and the narratives of disasters are so often misleading um, and don't and sort of equate the disaster with the hazard.
1: Yeah, and also these narratives very often don't capture the perception of hazards by those who are experiencing them, mm. which creates you know the whole kind of next level of problems, which we'll talk about in a minute.
0: So maybe we should reflect then on when we had Tony Oliver Smith with us in the studio and talking about his work about re-causes of disasters.
2: When you refocus or turn your view to the society, then in effect you adopt a critical perspective
3: mm-hmm. and the
2: critical perspective said what's going on in this society that makes it so vulnerable to a natural hazard and that and turns that it's a society that turns the natural hazard into a disaster and that means that you have to adopt a self-critical perspective and uh, regarding how the society and the economy and the politics are structured, are organized, and who, uh, in effect, is doing that. How how are these frameworks, some institutionalized, come about that create, that socially construct risk, that socially construct vulnerability. Uh, And when those conditions of risk and vulnerability are combined with a natural hazard, a disaster is produced.
0: I think when when Tony talks about the social construction of risk, I'm not sure I have ever heard anybody else um, describe that process in such a compelling way,
2: (laughs) you know?
1: I know, I know, and you know, we've we've said that before, I can just listen to him for hours because every single thing that he says is just so to the point and it just explains all, it kind of answers all the questions that I've ever had about disasters, you know?
0: Yeah, and I mean, so... I think Tony's episodes um, really connected us with the idea of root causes and social construction of risk and really um, helped to articulate clearly how hazards become disasters.
1: Yeah, and I think he led us really nicely into the discussion about the differences uh, between exposure and vulnerability. And exposure is something Lee talk to us about in episode six.
4: You have this strange situation where rich people, people who live in in the Thames, uh, along the River Thames, people who live on the steep hillsides in California, which might be prone to landslides and forest fires, actually pay a premium to live in those hazardous areas because of the benefits, the other benefits that they can provide. So views of the river, access to your yacht or your canoe on the riverbank, uh, views of the, of the sea or being in, being in an area where you're surrounded by the forests. Uh, so some people in, in the more wealthier nations perhaps pay, pay a premium. Uh, for living in those areas, which actually makes them quite exposed. Hmm. In contrast, there are billions of people through lack of choice and lack of options who live in exposed areas, so geographically exposed areas, because uh, they don't have a choice. So, for example, people who live um on floodplains particularly in uh, in informal settlements or slums in, uh, in in large cities so along the river banks prone to flooding they live there because that's the only sort of available land that they can sort of temporarily settle on
1: So choice is very often something that we don't really consider at all when we talk about exposure and i think lee highlighted it quite nicely that it's, it's the lack of choice that is important to note because we very often say that well you know disaster kind of affects everyone equally but that is never the case
0: so lee is kind of getting at the idea here that many people have a certain level of privilege in being able to choose more exposure and not really be impacted by disasters when they happen
1: yeah completely and i think joanne talked about it in in her episode early on and she highlighted really nicely that actually when you you don't have this choice when you don't have assets and you don't have the diversity of assets this is where this lack of choice becomes particularly problematic because your coping capacities are affected. As you know, those with fewer assets tend to have fewer choices and weaker strategies for dealing with different types of shocks. So in the context of climate change, then it's not just obviously the portfolio in terms of the diversity, but what are those assets or, you know, well are their climate resilient?
0: Yeah, so I really enjoyed our discussion with Joanne and especially because of the way she uses story and different types of communication in her research and, the, and also the way that she brings communities into the discussion and into the research process. And so hearing her talk about the, the stories that emerge from her relationship with people on the ground... I think it's really quite compelling, especially talking about their, the reality of their lives and the lack of choice that they have um, in terms of, um, you know, the access to resources and so on. So, I mean, that's something that came through strongly from some of our guests is just this ability to bring that story and narrative into the research process, which is something I really love.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I really hope that in the second season, we will be able to unpack this a little bit more, you know, how can we listen to people better? How can we actually engage with their stories and why that is important? And so, yeah, I'm really looking forward to those discussions.
0: Yeah. And so then maybe just to finish up talking about terminology, like still on the issue of vulnerability. When we, when we talked to Elan Kelman in episode 13 about climate change, again, he was sort of encouraging us to focus on vulnerabilities in terms of looking at the climate change issue and how to frame that and not kind of disassociating that from wider study of vulnerability and why people are actually at risk, right?
1: Yeah, right. And I think you summarize it really nicely in this next clip.
2: If we take climate change, simply by definition, climate change is the changing climate, which makes a lot of sense. And we know that climate by definition is average weather, so when we talk about climate change, all we're saying is that the average weather or weather statistics are changing. When we talk about disasters, as I expect you discuss in previous episodes, weather covers potential hazards. So by definition, if we're talking about disaster risk, weather, climate, climate change affects only the hazard part. Yet we know that vulnerability causes disasters.
1: Okay, so when we were discussing these contested terms, what we realized that is actually the underlying message in everything is this prominence of politics, and we everything we talk about is about politics. I think Tony highlighted this really nicely when he talked about policies in Florida when he was discussing how we construct new communities and where we construct these communities and also Wes and Daniel in episode 17 when we were were talking about the recovery in Japan they kind of highlighted the role of politics but actually we don't really talk about politics as disaster researchers do we we kind of depoliticize our agenda a little bit
0: yeah and let's listen to Gonzalo Zeralde here um, talking a bit more about this issue
2: there was no reconstruction in San Salvador, there was
4: no reconstruction, because there was nobody there to conduct
5: the housing and infrastructure recovery that was required. Why did happen? This happened because of neoliberal policies that were imposed in the country two decades before. And now when we see these migrants
2: walking towards the United States, we should not forget that these are these. People are escaping poverty, true. They're also escaping
5: violence, true. But they're also escaping the conditions that were accumulated for 20 years after imposing neoliberal policies in El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala, and Nicaragua.
0: You know, so often, we see disasters framed as events, um, as something that just you know happen in a moment because of a hazard, and I think you know people like like Tony, that um, really influential work that he's doing, trying to bring this historical rigor to the study of disasters as processes. Um, I think is just such an amazing contribution to um the field, right?
1: yeah, absolutely. And even when we talk about people in disasters and the way they're affected in disasters, the narrative is really political, isn't it? We kind of we choose mm. our stand, so there is the stance between us and them and them, so people who are affected by disasters being. Weak, i.e., vulnerable, right? This mm-hmm. kind of the favorite word we we, we tend to use, um, because you know, if somebody is weak, then we can help them, and if we help them, then we are great and amazing, right? Like, and as politician, uh, as politicians, this is the message you want to see. What's the point of helping somebody who doesn't need your help? You need to help mm. somebody who does need your help, whether they agree or disagree. And I think JC highlighted this really, really well in episode seven.
5: putting forward that people are not just um, victims, uh, quote marks, they're not just helpless, uh, they're not just vulnerable, and that we need to be careful in our labeling, but that people have at the same time, their resources, their skills, there's um, uh, different forms of knowledge they use and pull together to actually do things uh, in facing disasters and hazards and disasters.
1: And then, also, even the way we discuss skills, right? And this is what JC is highlighting, that we really need to think about capacities. But even when we talk about capacities, we make it really, really political. So the stories that Wes and Daniel shared with us about their research in Japan, they kind of showed how we somewhat see Japan as this, you know, superhero of disaster recovery. But is that really the case? You know, it depends on how you look at it.
2: A lot of times American media tries to set up the counter narrative that says, well, look at how well behaved a country like Japan is, not right. like us. When in fact, you know, I was I was in Tohoku a week after the tsunami and people were, you know, people were drunk. People had taken things from abandoned stores. People were burning businesses for fuel because they needed it, right? People were doing what they needed to do to survive, just like people in New Orleans were doing, right? It's just... um the narrative needed a balance i think would be one way i'd say it
3: yeah i'm completely on board with that i think that for sure the american press loves to argue that our typical response in north america somehow is about you know looting riding, a loss of social control and somebody here's japan with eighteen thousand four hundred deaths and they're doing so well but of course oftentimes those news crews in japan they didn't speak japanese at all if, if very well exactly they didn't have people on the ground inside the shelters
0: And so that clip from Wes and Daniel is interesting in that it gets at the way that these narratives are constructed often to protect the interests of, of uh, those who are in power or those who want people to believe a certain thing. Uh, and in the episode that was focused on recovery in Japan, they were starting to look at some of like what was really happening behind this facade of, you know, and the the narrative that we'd been sold, which was everybody's behaving so well. And that kind of brings us to a big focus of this season, which was how to actually challenge these dominant narratives and challenge dominant systems and what we might call the status quo. And that's been a recurring theme. And we've had a couple of episodes that have been about that in particular and indeed our uh, IREC conference that we hosted earlier in the year was focused on that theme as well and so in particular the episodes that we were directed to in relation to status quo are are probably episode 18 which was about the manifesto Um, and then episode 19 as well was actually reflecting on Um, our participants' contributions at IREC looking at um, how do we actually disrupt the status quo? What is the status quo we need to disrupt? And they shared some really interesting perspectives that you can catch on last week's episode. It's
5: not... About insiders versus outsiders per se, it's about the power relations, mm. um, and I think that may be misinterpreted from the paper, as it was from the uh, from the gold rush paper mm. initially. We are not suggesting, and I I speak on my own behalf, but I'm really sure everyone uh, mm. is on the same page here. We are not suggesting that it's only about local researchers or, or researchers were affected, it's about researchers coming from places not affected to support them. Mm. It's not about isolating local researchers and and just throwing the the outside researchers out of the window. No, it's about supporting because local researchers for many different reasons won't have all the time, all the skills required to unpack all the issues uh, in the field to answer all the important questions to inform response and uh, recovery on the long term. So it's a matter of finding the right power balance where outsiders, quote marks, uh, come and support rather than come and lead.
0: And I think that's really the key to this. You know, we've been talking a lot about these power imbalances in various weeks and the ways that our privilege um, can often like give us a, a bias in the in the way that we conduct research, the way we engage with communities. And trying to decolonize the way that we think and the way that we practice is such an ongoing challenge, isn't it?
1: absolutely and it's kind of an ethical dilemma really you know are are we challenging our own status quo you know are we thinking Mm. about these issues enough because we you know we all go through ethics approvals and risk assessments and things like that but actually is this the right moral dilemma that we're trying to assess and unpack so there is there is really a lot to think about and I think by bringing this manifesto to kind of forefront, many of us have actually been reflecting on the way we do research um, and whom we do research with and how we do research. So I really hope that our practices will will change and we will really challenge what it is we, we do because mm. we are, as researchers, we are the part of the problem as Giuseppe highlighted in episode nine.
5: I think something interesting is that, you know, rethinking about the status quo is also reflecting on ourselves, of course, yeah. because yes. it's not just pointing the finger and, you know, exactly. say, oh, it's your fault. No, it's also, <laughs> we are part of, we are part of this system. So, yeah. Yeah. we as researchers and as human beings, we are part of this, uh, um, of this system who produces uh, inequalities and, and, and injustice.
0: It's so true, isn't it? We, first of all, need to look at ourselves. We need to figure out what is the status quo that we need to challenge. Because I think also back to what Wes said in his IREC um, video about like we have to challenge what the, whatever the system that's dominating us is whatever that may be. And for most of us, that's like a, a kind of neoliberal capitalist system. But it's about identifying the injustices within the system you're operating in and um, challenging it and and figuring out what is your place in it and how are you complicit as well. Um, so, I, so let's listen to Samantha in episode 12 um, and some of her ideas about how we can actually Engage with others in order to find a pathway to challenge this.
4: Well, I don't know if it's a silver bullet, but I have, I kind of found myself a couple years ago literally just like on Twitter yelling at journalists every time they wrote an article about disasters, being like, what are you talking about? None of this is true. And it took a while and I got to know a couple of these journalists, which like bless their hearts for putting up with me. Uh, but, But I started talking to them and I started understanding more of like, oh, they have no disaster background. Like their editor was just like, oh, go report on this wildfire. Like they have no background in any of this. And they're not, we don't even have, really, very few uh, people are actually on, like, a disaster beat. Like, they are just jumping around from different things.
0: So I think what Samantha is getting at in a really interesting way is that it's so easy for us to feel all virtuous and self-righteous about being correct in the way that we communicate and the like our position about different expressions and terminology and concepts and having the right definition and all of that stuff. And it's um, maybe we need to be a bit more humble and we need to understand that not everybody's in the same position of having the knowledge base to draw on but also the fact that we're all um coming from from different experiences and different stories and sometimes we understand things differently because of our values and because of our culture and it's not it's not as simple as saying like it's a black and white issue and like these people are right and these are wrong and these are smart and these people aren't you know
1: yeah and you know i think this kind of lack of humbleness very often possibly comes because we ourselves don't quite engage deep enough you know with an argument um we don't really you know some of us don't really know theory well so it's very easy to just hide behind these big words and if somebody doesn't understand what i mean by my epistemology then oh well you know that's kind of your loss right (laughs) You should have read up on that. Um, So yeah, for us, I guess that's why we're doing this podcast. We're really trying to challenge ourselves and to to open this academic debate and academic communication for discussion. But anyway, so the whole point, I guess, of um, this first season was, well, the first season has started because you and I got a little bit hooked up on this whole natural disasters phrase, right? I think that's the whole, the idea of the podcast came from where we spent hours and hours and hours getting angry with people and ourselves for not quite getting the message right and not being able to explain the message right. And I think we sort of got there in the end, which I'm really happy about.
0: Well, I think part of this is kind of what I was saying a minute ago about, um, like the realization that there's not a right and wrong way to do things or to say things um it's not as nothing is as black and white it's all about um like your position in in time and in a in a context and like the I would say we've definitely evolved in the way that we talk about the expression natural disasters too, like through talking to more people about it and through understanding more about why people use that expression to frame their story about disasters.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I do hope that with, you know with with kind of with the way we communicate we've hopefully been able to explain to people that the the our words have power and this is the whole point of fighting against the misnomer natural disasters because it's it's about power it's not about semantics it's about blaming things on nature that can actually be solved by us human beings and i think kevin again highlighted it quite nicely in the episode 16
4: outside of where people have a kind of a professional uh, interest in this in this area it's much more kind of emotive I think actually the idea that humans are to blame for disasters is actually still quite a a difficult Mm. idea to for people to wrap their heads around Um, and it's actually much easier and kind of much much uh, nicer in a way to blame nature because you know it, it, it kind of makes us um, you know, the victims as opposed to people who actually do have a, a direct impact on how severe that disaster turns out to be.
0: And it depoliticizes the whole thing, right?
4: Exactly, yeah. Yeah, Takes that, takes the politics away and takes the, um, you know, the, the kind of the blame uh, away from any one audience. Um, and that's, I think, is a, is a part of the problem.
0: And I think that's really a critical aspect to our ongoing work about this expression and how it's been used to tell the story of disasters and in many ways to gloss over all of the inequalities and injustices that have led to discriminatory impacts on um, certain people and groups of people.
1: Totally. And there is so much more to unpack. There is so much more to talk about and to discuss. So, you know, I mean, we've got content for hundred seasons, don't we? <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Um, we really do. And there are so many amazing people out there who are doing pretty cool work. And we, of course, want to engage with everyone. So, yeah, I, I really hope we've managed to capture at least some of the thinking that's happening currently and. I hope you know you've been challenged as much as we have been,
0: absolutely, and um, so what are we gonna be doing in the next few months, like season two, what we're planning at the moment is to start releasing our season two content from the first Monday in January,
1: yeah, so there'll be a lovely new year present for you all, yeah,
0: <laughs> and um. In the meantime, we do have some other things going on Uh, over the next few months. We will be recording uh, content for season two and starting to edit our episodes and get them all lined up for release on Monday mornings. U.S. Eastern Time, 6 a.m., which is the, the normal time.
1: But also in the next couple of weeks, we will be releasing more special content on Discord. So if you haven't joined our Discord group, please do. Because there are lots of exciting things happening there already. So we've had our first um, special guest, who is just member content only. Thanks, Wes, again, for spending your Monday nights in Kyoto talking to us. And we've also started the book group. So for those who are not aware yet, we are reading Kim Stanley Robinson's The Year of Rice and Salt. And we've started discussing the first couple of chapters actually just in the what, last week. Thank you all for engaging with us and for following us and for listening to us. It's really been fun and, well, I personally didn't think that so many people would engage. So yeah, I'm kind of really humbled and pleased about it. So yeah, thank you all.
0: You're not going to cry, are you? You're just getting emotional there.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: maybe you're like I just have a cold
1: yeah I imagine sniff sniff no I won't cry maybe in the end of second season
0: okay maybe all (laughs) right (laughs) let's wrap up it's been really fun to uh, spend the last few months getting to know um, a lot of new people and sharing some some content and developing a listener base. Thank you all for listening. Um, if you can in the in the gap in our seasons share our first season with your friends and your networks. make sure to um, check in, check check in to the Discord channel for new member content. We will be trying to, to keep releasing some things on Twitter as we go and as we uh, record new content. But, yeah, don't don't lose touch in the next few months because we're still going to be working behind the scenes to prepare Season 2 for you. All right, thank you, Cassania, for um, co-hosting the show. It's been really awesome and looking forward to continuing with Season 2, right?
1: Eh? Yeah, thank you, Jason. It's really been fun, you know, it's always fun talking to you.
0: been listening to Disasters Deconstructed podcast. I'm Jason Van Mede.
1: And I'm Ksenia Čmutina. See you next time. Bye.